are back finally for the 2020 season. Fantasy football in the midst of the apocalypse. It's Matt Golden. I'm here, the Omega 3 Poppy, with your boy, Colby Patnode as well. We're out here, ready to talk post draft 2020. What's going on, Colby? Not much, man. It's It's been crazy, you know? Uh, you and I met this morning and talked for about two hours. Uh, went to the, went to my, uh, my parents' little tiny rental house and, uh, pretty much worked on that straight through till the evening. Um, you know, came home, caught up on some Mariners, watched some big brother, by the way, the Mariners are only three games out of first play or out of a playoff spot. So, uh, you know, what's up, but, uh, it's, it's been a crazy day, but I'm excited to talk fantasy football, man. Yes. Finally, it's back. We didn't know if it was going to be back, but it is back. We had our draft last night. Uh, you know, I would ask you how how you feel that it went, but we are going to get into that before too long. So, guys, the way that we did it this year is instead of you know the the traditional way that ended up taking you know hours, which was actually really fun for Colby and I, but you know <laughs> it's uh, not really conducive to having people listen through the whole pod. What we did this time around is we broke it down. We consolidated everything. This whole pod should run about an hour. Um, It's going to be quick, man. Quick hitters on each team, starting from the 101, working our way back to the 114. So we start with Tyler, and, uh, you know, we'll wrap it up with Isaiah and basically just kind of give our impressions, and we'll just kind of, you know, tennis it back and forth here. So, um you know, without any further ado, we can get right into it. Would you like to hear um, what I could put for Tyler first, or do you want to kick us off? No, man. It's, uh, I mean, it's all of ours league, but I feel like you run the thing, so you can lead us off if you'd like. Sure, no problem. Right on. Okay, so Tyler, as you all, as everyone knows, the big narrative coming into the draft this year was Tyler throwing down 200 bones. Clearly, there was somebody that he desperately wanted, and he was trying to sell us all on the narrative that it was Russell Wilson, which I'm not going to lie. Uh, you know, I thought it was totally believable. And I guess in retrospect, you can ask why did he, why was he so desperate to sell that narrative? It didn't really matter, but he had fun with it, I'm sure. So, anyways, this is what I put for Tyler. Um, clearly, he's all in on the Niners, he's got a triple stack of Niners with Jimmy G-String, who he picked in the fourth, Kittle in the second, and Debo in the sixth. Um, And the way that I shake these things out is I I try to hit three things with every team. Best value pick, worst value pick, and defining moment. So this is what I put for, for, for Tyler. I felt like his best value was Deshaun Jackson at the 901 spot. I feel like I feel that way because Philly's already kind of banged up on the offensive end, especially with the receiving core. You know, Deshaun came out the gates red hot last year, and so I think we can anticipate more of that assuming health here. So Deshaun at the 901, hard to argue with that. Worst value, in my opinion, was Will Disley at 1014. And I say that because um, Dallas Goddard, John Smith, Greg Olson, Irv Smith, Mike Jasicki, Ian Thomas and Chris Herndon all were drafted in the 11th round. And I feel like I would take maybe not all, but most of those guys for sure. Um, 
over Will Disley this year. Um, and the defining moment for Tyler's draft, in my opinion, was Jimmy G and Baker on that 4-5 mm-hmm. turn. I feel like that was the defining moment for him because, um, you know, he really went in on those quarterbacks and, you know, did he choose the right guys? I know it does. You know it's it is super flex. So you want to make sure that you don't you don't end up on the short end of the stick here um, when it comes to quarterback. But I'm just not convinced that he chose the right guys. So that's what I put for Tyler's team. Right. Um, so for me, you know, I, I know you may have fell for it a little bit, but I never really bought into Tyler's false bravado. Oh, kind of always knew it was bullshit. Um, <laughs> I, you just don't pay two hundred dollars and then take Russell Wilson at 101. I mean, you could have paid a lot less and still gotten Russell. So it it just doesn't it didn't make any sense to me. Uh, but uh honestly, after I saw how Tyler drafted, I I think you wasted your $200, bro. Uh you know, just to be perfectly honest with you. Um no surprise, you know Ty, Tyler and I we go back and forth uh, all the time pretty much every year. So uh, I I think Tyler should have seen this coming, but uh you know, on the positive end of things, I really liked your first three picks. I thought that was a, you know, really, those were really savvy moves and they were the smart moves and the right moves. Um, but, you know, after that, I I have some questions uh, about, you know, just the strategy, if there was one even. Um, I, I don't I don't like the Mayfield Garoppolo stack. Um, I think if you had taken Russell with your first pick, uh, then having one of those guys as your QB two would have made a lot more sense than having both of them together. I just don't think that's really going to work all that well for you. I know you love Jimmy G. I get it. And Baker Mayfield certainly has upside, but I'm just not buying it. I do like that. You took Teddy Bridgewater to kind of hedge your bet there. I, I think that's a smart move on your end. Um, and I'm also not really in love with your wide receiver tandem. I mean, I know you're a big Debo guy and obviously he looked great at the end of last year, but both him and Jarvis Landry have been battling some, pretty serious injuries here in the preseason. I just, you know, it's, it's, it's a little riskier than I would run. Um, and then, you know, I, I tend to pretty much disagree with, with, uh, your valuation of his late round picks. I thought after round eight, you just kind of mailed it in and he took some, some names that you like, um, you know, Deshaun Jackson, LaShawn McCoy, Josh Gordon. I mean, of course they're going to end up on your team. I get it. Um, but you know, you treated those rounds like they didn't have any value and, I think they do. So, I mean, I, I think honestly, I, I mentioned this earlier today. I think Tyler's playing fantasy football without a net, without a safety net, but I do appreciate that he bankrolled like 25% of the, you know, the winner's pot. So uh, I appreciate the donation and um, you know, maybe you'll prove me wrong. It's, it wouldn't be the first time. I knew that was coming. I knew, I knew that appreciate, I appreciate the donation. I knew that I knew that was coming. I mean, <laughs> I mean, Hey, just because I say it often doesn't mean it's not true. So, well, I can't um, wait. I can't wait for Tyler to get the opportunity to because <laughs> you know we will. I'm I'm sure he will. Um, I would say I would read it, but I I don't care about Tyler's opinion. So, <laughs> all right, rolling into <laughs> the second pick here, and Max um, threw down a hundred bones to pick um, to pick at. The second, well, actually, I guess he didn't really know where he was going to pick, but the 102, um, Max goes ahead and comes out of the first two rounds with the heralded Pat Mahomes Kelsey stack. Hard to argue with that if I had to, you know, wager before the draft 
who came out of the draft with the Mahomes-Kelsey stack. I wouldn't have wagered on Max. I think we all know we all would have said Big Brian. Um, But no, Max did. And um, we all know that that plays for fantasy, and especially in this league. So um, I think that was a hell of a start for Max. I feel like his best value pick here, in my opinion, was Dallas Goddard at 11.02. Again, just going back to the whole thing with Philly, you know, um, and also you have to keep in mind this is a two tight end league. So um, I think that Dallas Goddard was a really nice selection there at 11.02 from a pure value standpoint. Um, we know they love to use their tight ends and Goddard was productive last year. Um, even though he was this, he, even though he is the second tight end in that offense um, behind, of course, Zach Ertz, uh, the worst pick from a, I don't know this is necessarily the worst from a value standpoint, but it's just the pick I liked least for him was Sam Darnold at the 902, <laughs> AKA Nancy Reagan. Um, Nancy was never going to be on my fantasy football team ever again because I made that mistake once and I try not I try not to make the same mistake twice. Um, but anything that um, anything that Adam Gase touches turns to ash. So I'm out on uh, Sam Darnold indefinitely until um, until Adam Gase is unemployed and, or at least at the very least not employed by the Jets. Um, I feel like the defining moment for Max's team was drafting Fournette at the 302 because that was his first running back and he made that selection on the basis of not knowing that Fournette was no longer a Jacksonville Jaguar. Um, So I think that, that while it's not a pick he would have made and it probably wasn't the best pick that he could have made there at running back from a pure value standpoint time will tell but I mean I'm sure most people are projecting it's not the best value he could have gotten um you know that's going to be one of those that if he gets a little bit lucky there you know maybe maybe despite the fact that it's not what he would have done um maybe it pays off but time will tell right so um you know, I, I have to admit, after the after the draft, I was kind of, you know, doing the cursory sweep of the rosters and all that stuff, and I got to Max, and I was just I wasn't impressed really at all. Um, but again, we had we had this goal of coming in and having a shorter podcast than normal, so I went back to look so I could take some really quick notes on Max's team, and I seem to have done not an entire one eighty on it, but I, I I actually think it's a pretty decent team. I think Max did a pretty good job here. Um, you mentioned the Mahomes Kelsey stack. That's really interesting. Um, I really like the wide receiving core, uh, in particular, Robert Woods. Uh, I'm, I'm a big Robert Woods fan, uh, in this, and I feel like there's some pretty good depth there. You know, I'm not a huge Stefan Diggs fan, but he's solid. Parker's really good. Judy's awesome. Um, could be awesome. I should say. So I really like the wide receiving core here, um, as well. I, I think the biggest mistake he made was, uh, selecting Leonard Fournette ahead of James Conner and Kenyon Drake. I think that's a pretty big mistake. Um, but he was able to grab uh, Melvin Gordon on the wraparound, and I thought that was pretty nice value for the spot. Um, bench has some upside, which obviously I like. I, I'm, I'm the bench guy um, in more ways than one. Um, but, uh, no, I, I think Max did a pretty good job. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, there's some holes here, but 
there's not a roster out there that doesn't have holes. So um, I, I think overall it's, it's solid. I do like the Goddard pick. I think he has a really good uh, tight end duo here and we'll see if Mahomes, you know, is good enough to, to, to lift Sam Darnold to have a, a quarterback tandem here that can do some damage. But uh, I like the team. I would really like it a lot more if he had taken Connor or Kenyon Drake um, instead of, you know, Leonard Fournette. So, uh, but you know, small complaint, but I, I think Max did pretty well here. Fair enough. All right. Moving on to Cam at the 103 slot. And what I wrote for Cam here is that he, obviously the first thing that, that strikes you when you look at this roster is that he went four running backs in the first four rounds, all in on the backs. So he comes out of these first four rounds with Saquon, Miles Sanders, James Conner, and Mark Ingram. Um, additionally, and I, it, it, for any roster that I noticed a stack, I point out the stack. Does it always matter? Is it important to have a stack? No. Is it possible that I miss a stack? Potentially. But I think I got all of them. Cam has the Joe Burrow, AJ Green stack, which has potential to go two ways. <laughs> but we'll see. Anyways, best value here for Cam. Uh, I kind of have it. I kind of. I don't like to put more than one option, but I was really struggling between choosing Miles Sanders at the two twelve and AJ Green at the six twelve. Now it's interesting. I would say either one of those guys because I also see. Uh, tremendous risk and downside with both of them. Of course, Miles Sanders with the, you know, soft tissue injury. Eagles are calling it mild, but what else would they call it? Well, let's let's be honest. And then AJ Green, uh, Cliff might the Cliff very well may be coming quick. So, um, but nonetheless, you know, Miles Sanders also could, you know, he, he he's not supposed to be there at two twelve. I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Same with AJ Green at the six twelve. You know, those are picks that could pay off. Cam's worst pick in terms of value was Jay Sternberger at 13.03 because um, Green Bay has been pretty transparent about the fact that he's not their starting tight end. Um, but I think maybe the more important question here is whether or not that even matters. Um, when was the last time that, that Aaron Rodgers had a tight end that really mattered? Um, from the fantasy Jermichael Finley. I feel, like, I feel like we speculate on the Green Bay tight end um, you know, every season people want to say, you know, this is the year, this is the year, and it's far and few between, you know, if any, for that matter. Um, Cam's defining moment was waiting at quarterback and ending up with Joe Burrow at the 703 and then Derek Carr at the 812. Um, you know, I think there's some people who would say that that is unsettling. And so, again, defining moment because time will tell. Sure. Um, all right. So I it just, I want to make sure I, I, uh, I say this uh, now to make sure I get it out there on the record. Uh, and I just have to say that for somebody whose greatest legacy in this fantasy football league is a series of bad trades. Cam's talking a lot of shit on the message boards, um, which I appreciate. Uh, you know, when you don't have a resume, you got to lie um, and you got to, you know, make yourself sound good. And Cam's really good at that. He's a businessman after all. Um, but there's an old story. Um, it's, it's pretty famous or it's pretty popular amongst lawyers. And it's one I happen to know. And I, I think it's pretty fitting here. Um, and the story goes that a, 
you know, a, a lawyer or a, uh, a teacher at a, a professor at a law at a law school. Um, he told his students, you know, when the facts are on your side, you argue the facts. When the law is on your side, you argue the law. If neither is on your side, bang your fists on the table. Cam's doing a lot of banging his fists on the table, uh, you know, early in this process. But I will say, I do think that uh, this this draft is proof that he's getting better. So, uh, you know, like you said, the four the four running backs I think is is really solid. I, I would be quite happy if I were him that I got Saquon at three. Um, Miles Sanders is a bit of a concern. I, I agree with the soft tissue injury, and we'll see how long Mark Ingram is the guy. Uh, in Baltimore, but uh, that could be a really nice pick for him. I actually, for how long he waited to draft a wide receiver, Tyler Lockett as your one, that's rock solid. AJ Green, a little more of a mystery there. Uh, my biggest concern here for Cam is uh, I don't I don't love the quarterback stack here of Burrow and Carr. I think those are good number twos. Um, you know, Burrow or Carr, they can certainly be top 14 this year that's not out of the question but i just have a hard time seeing either of them finishing top 10 um and i could be wrong but that that is a concern i have uh also i'm a little bit concerned about the wide receiver two position aj green alshon jeffrey not exactly the pictures of health larry fitzgerald just i mean eh, you know so um i i think i think he's eventually going to have to address that but i think he set himself up pretty nice here so I have questions, uh, but I think overall uh, this is Cam's best draft. And I know that's not saying much, but uh, it's it's important to show improvement. So uh, good job, Cam. I, I think you got your money's worth, I'll say. Fair. Agreed. Um, moving on to Garza at the 104. For those who are unaware or would care to know one way or another, uh, yes, Garza was drafting at work. Um, so that's why he did have some picks that were auto-draft. Um, and we'll get into that. So Garza, the, the big question was, as the resident Baltimore Ravens fan, Lamar Jackson coming off the most, uh, one of the most sensational seasons we've ever seen from a quarterback, if not the most. It's definitely up there, though. Uh, we'll never forget it. Uh, Lamar Jackson, was he going to take him? Is he still drinking? That Lamar Jackson Kool-Aid, does he believe? That was the question. And the answer was a resounding yes. He does take him at the 104 um, and ends up with the Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews stack. Um, so for Garza, the best value that, as far as I'm concerned, was James White at the 811. I say that on the basis of the fact that um, – Somebody's got to catch balls in New England. And James White, as we've been saying for years, uh, say what you want about Bellatrix, but his role is safe. And so I like that value there, especially when running back gets ugly awfully quick. I like the value there of a James White at 811. Um, as for his worst value, I said Marlon Mack at 611. Now, in... In fairness, um, that's largely due to the fact that I am a Jonathan Taylor believer, and I think that Marlon Mack is going to progressively lose work as the season as the season um, proceeds, 
And I think that when it's all said and done, um, not only is Marlon Mack going to be on the shallow side of the committee, but he um, could ultimately be very well, you know, phased out almost entirely. Um, so that's, that's obviously projecting. I could be dead wrong about that, of course, but that's, this is my bias. I view Marlon Mack as, Gar as Garza's worst value. Um, defining moment for Garza was getting Calvin Ridley auto-picked at 411. It's hard to imagine that he wouldn't have gone running back there and Mark Ingram and Melvin Gordon were still on the board. So I would imagine that he would have probably snagged one of those guys instead. He already had two receivers, so I don't think he would have taken Ridley um, and he didn't end up drafting his first running back until round six, so which of course was Marlon Mack. So, yeah, you know it's it's a little tough to to you know talk about Garza because I don't know what you know what were his picks, what were auto picks. Um, you know, I don't know how that changed his draft. Uh, so, you know, it's it's a bit difficult, but, uh, you know, one thing we can say is that the wide receiver position is uh, stacked for Garza. Um, Hopkins, Godwin, Ridley, probably the best one, two, three in the league. Uh, if not, it's it's top three or four. And then he even backs it up with some really high upside guys like Henry Ruggs and Mecole Hardman and Justin Jefferson. Um, so that's really good. Uh, the tight end situation is quite good too. We got Mark Andrews and Evan Ingram. We'll see if Ingram can stay healthy. Uh, but you know, like you mentioned, man, it's, it's the running backs. It's Marlon Mack and James White. Uh, that's, that's problematic. Um, and you know, he picks up Naheem Hines late price love. Like those are, those are decent lottery tickets, but man, it's <laughs> Garza, uh, probably accidentally, went pretty close to no running to zero RB. If not for TJ, we would be talking about him being the zero RB guy this draft around. I just think his whole draft is we're looking at his team completely different. If he takes Melvin Gordon instead of Ridley, of course that was an auto pick. So not entirely his fault, but I, I think that would make a pretty big difference uh, for Garza here. Overall, I think it's a pretty good team. Um, but obviously, you know, the quarterback situation is definitely something you're going to have to monitor. Lamar's great, probable regression candidate. And then he takes Tua, who I really like, but currently isn't the starting quarterback in Miami. And he doesn't get Ryan Fitzpatrick to kind of, you know, lock down that situation. So um, we'll see how long it takes Tua to take over if he's able to at all. Um, until then, you know, Garza's is kind of trying to do what he did last year. Um, he's trying to make up for his lack of quarterback depth with a couple good tight ends and some wide receiver play. So uh, we'll see if he can repeat what he did last year, but um, it's an interesting team. It's just kind of hard to, to judge fully um, without knowing, you know, what Garza actually did and what was kind of forced upon him. Sure. Agreed. And actually I didn't even think about it from that standpoint, but you're right. Um, you know, zero RB was, was very much um, the best way to sort of describe. He, he inadvertently went yeah. to RB, and you know that Ridley pick. While Ridley is a nice player, um, 
from a strategic standpoint, you know, very well may end up hurting him. Well, at least it hurts. It hurts. The pick hurts, you know, potentially more than, than luck last year. Um, because not because Ridley, I mean, obviously Ridley is playing, but it's just what he lost out on, you know, it was a fourth round pick as opposed to, you know, luck who was a seventh round pick. So, you know, maybe he gets lucky and he can, you know, make a trade. And then we're looking at this team a little differently. Um, but in any case, all right, moving on to Scott with the fifth pick. And I, you know, I want to have more to say about Scott. I really do because, you know, he's, he's going out of his way to speak up on the league chat and, you know, he's speak, he's talking big shit. And I appreciate that a lot. Just like you were saying earlier about Cam. I do. I appreciate that a lot. Um, so, but I just don't have, I don't have a lot to say here. This is what I will say. You know, I'll keep it nice and nice and short and sweet here. Best value, Kenyon Drake at 305. I say that solely on the basis of the fact that in most leagues you're seeing Kenyon Drake. Sometimes you're seeing them come off the board in the late first, but certainly in the second round. So getting him there at the 305, um, I feel was a nice value. His worst value, um, I have I have written down as Marcus Mariota at the 1410, which you sit you hear me say that and you say, well it's a 14th round pick, who cares? Well, let me just, you know, spell this out a little bit. He drafted three bench quarterbacks, and I, I am okay with taking lottery tickets, and especially at quarterback in a super flex league. But once you took Herbert at the 13.05, you know, did you really need to burn more bench spots on Mariota at the 14.10 and Jordan Love at the 16.10? Because let's be honest, one thing, one thing that we do know. Jordan Love, that ain't happening. So, you know, I don't know, man. I feel like he could have he could have really done himself a, a, a favor by addressing um, some other positions there instead of instead of getting a little bit happy here with the with the running with excuse me with the quarterback lotto tickets. The, his defining moment. Um, Drafting Russell Wilson at the 105 over Zeke, mm-hmm. Zeke, Kamara, Cook, etc. You know, I feel like, you know, if Russ cooks, if Seattle lets Russ cook and, you know, he justifies the selection, great. But it's really tough to swallow taking a quarterback in the first round when you're in position to take, a, a, you know, a premium platinum chip running back so that's what i got on scott yeah um i think i'm gonna echo pretty much what you said um kudos to scott he made the first pick that uh shocked me per se uh not that it was a reach or anything i just i wasn't expecting him to take russ um with the fifth pick i appreciate that he did um but you know i i think it's it's i don't even think the seahawks have to let russ cook to uh to, for Scott to get the value back on that pick. Um, I think if he repeats what he did last year, you're feeling pretty good about it. Uh, and a big part of that is because, you know, Scott might have the best quarterback tandem in the league between Russell Wilson and Matthew Stafford. That's going to be tough to beat. 
Um, so I, I really like that, that he, he went after quarterback aggressively and early. Um, I, enjoy, I enjoyed that. Um, I really like the upside with this tight end duo and the top two wide receivers. Pretty nice. You know, Mike Evans and Cortland Sutton, you could do a lot worse. I like the Gronk and the Hooper stack. I think there's some upside along with some relative safety there. Um, so I think th- those are all very nice, uh, very nice additions by Scott. Um, you know, I, I, I too was confused by the, uh, the, you know, the draft capital laid on really just bad quarterbacks. Um, and I also was a little bit interested in the, uh, the seeming target, seemingly targeting, uh, you know, high profile handcuffs. He takes Alexander Madison. He takes Tony Pollard. Um, you know, so I, I, I think Darrington Evans. So, I mean, he really went after some of these handcuff guys. I guess he's going to try and trade them. I don't know what the plan is there. Um, and, you know, I, I would just wrap it up by saying I, I like J.K. Dobbins, the player. I think he can be really interesting in fantasy this year. My question is when. When is J.K. Dobbins going to be that guy, if at all? Um, because if it takes, you know, six, seven weeks, that – might be tough to overcome because again, your backup running backs are all handcuff types. They're backups. So um, we'll see what happens with Scott. But again, I like the quarterbacks. I like the wide receiver tandem. I think the tight end tandem is really fun too. And then I'm interested to see how the, the handcuff running back strategy goes. Um, And yeah, I was just, honestly, I don't understand the, the selections of, you know, Marcus Mariota and, uh, and Jordan Love, I just I, I don't get it. Um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know bash him. Not that you did, but I'm not I'm not gonna do that because it's 14, 15, 16, 17. Just kind of feels like you know I probably would have taken the on that Mariota pick. I probably would have taken a stand on like Rashad Penny, um, just somebody I could stash and hopefully have a running back to or pretty close to it. Um, you know, in week seven or eight, uh, just in case Dobbins doesn't hit by then. So. We'll see how it works out for Scott. I think it's a pretty good team, um, but I I have questions. So uh, we'll see what he's able to do with it. Agreed. Agreed. Fair enough. Um, and also, let me just say real quick, too. I said Jordan Love. That's not going to happen. Uh, sorry, Scott. Marcus Mariota is not happening either. He's not taking that <laughs> job from Derek Carr. So uh, really, you know, you can just, you know, cut your losses right now. And Colby's totally right. 14, 16 round, it doesn't hurt that bad, you know. But, you know, basically do what Garza is very likely to do tonight as we record. And, you know, and Garza's dumping some guys that were auto-picked to him and Geis and Damian Williams. And, you know, time to go dumpster diving, you know. You could have had guys who were drafted in the 14th, 16th round, which still wasn't great, but it still it beats the hell out of what's floating out there now. Right. But, no. I- Right. I'll just say this and then we can move on. I think Marcus Mariota is going to have a nice long NFL career, probably as Russell Wilson's backup. And that feels about right. So uh, <laughs> I really, I really like Marcus Mariota. Would love to see him in a Seahawks uniform. I would just love to never see him take a snap for the Seahawks. Um, I'm sorry, buddy. That one's a lost cause, but uh, well, maybe I, I like Marcus Mariota. 0% chance I was going to draft him <laughs> on to Brian. Moving on, Brian. And what I wrote for Brian, keeping it short and sweet here, he's got that Tannehill, A.J. Brown stack. Um, I have the best value pick here as T.Y. Hilton at the 706. Um, I was tempted 
T.Y. Hilton was one of those guys that he was available and I'm looking at him and it's like so not as it's not as sexy or exciting as it was, you know, four years ago. Um, and so you're like, I know I probably should take him here, but I'm not going to do it. And, you know, so I have to just acknowledge that getting T.Y. at 706 has real potential to pay off. And I think that the value is definitely there because he probably should have come off before then. Um, worst value, and I will readily admit that this is just straight bias on my behalf. I wrote um, A.J. Brown at the 506. Now, was it, you know, that is where he's going. So it's not like it's not like he's you know, reaching for him or anything of that respect. It's just that, you know, Tannehill is going to regress. And that. And I'm not trying to say that that means he's going to be worthless. And I'm also not trying to say that that means that A.J. Brown is going to be worthless. I'm just, I'm just not an A.J. Brown fan. I'm not. And I wouldn't have taken him there. And so that's why I view that as his worst value. Defining moment for Brian, um, I wrote starting with two running backs and Zeke at 106 and Eckler at 209. In this league where there's a lot of folks who are kind of hurting for, for you know, a nice little stable of running backs. But, you know, Brian took care of it in the first two rounds. And so I view that as his defining moment and why you look at his roster and maybe relative to some of these other ones, you feel like it has some stability. Yeah. Um, sorry, Brian, if you feel like you're getting shortchanged here, but I'm going to make up some time because I'm literally just going to read exactly what I wrote in my notes here. Uh, and that'll be that because I really don't think there's much else to add. So here's what I wrote. It's a well-balanced team. There's safety and upside both in the starting lineup and on his bench. It's proof that you don't need to spend $200 to build a good team. And it's a job well done. And I really don't have that much else to say. So nice job, Brian. I think you're totally, totally on point there. I did. I fully disagree. Balance. It's just balance. It's a nice team. It's balance. Mm -hmm. um, moving on. Finally, we are to your team. Um, and with, do do I actually, so I didn't have a lot to say here either. Um, but what I did say was, you know, the best value. This is, this is, you know, one of the best values in my view, not just, you know, on your team, but in the entirety of the draft. And that, of course, is Odell at the 408. Um, and I've already talked to you about this, but, uh, you know, he was there. Uh, when I chose in the third round and I was tempted to take him, but I decided against it. He comes back around in the fourth um, and he would have been a great pick either way. Odell's a guy that has no business being there in a 14 team league at the 408. There's way too much upside there. So I think that that was, um, that was the, not only the best value pick on your team, in my view, but one of the better ones in the entirety of the draft. The worst value here was kind of hard, I guess, for me to decide on, but I, I chose carry on Johnson. Um, just be, and I guess that that actually becomes maybe more viable of a response here with signing of AP. Although I suppose you could say, well, AP is just going to sit. So who cares? He's old and he's, you know, way over the hill, but 
you know, they did draft DeAndre Swift, and not that the ninth round is overly early, um, but I don't know. We'll have to see how that committee sort of shakes out as the season progresses. But, you know, Carrion Johnson's helium balloon ascension has come and gone, and uh, he's another one of those guys where it's just not as exciting as it used to be. So maybe that's maybe that's partially biased. I don't know, but I he hasn't ever really lived up to that exciting potential he had. So um, that's what I came up with for the worst value. Uh, the defining moment here um, I had as Odell in the fourth instead of um, Ingram or Melvin Gordon. And so that leaves your RB2 as Hunt, which is totally viable. Um, but, you know, as we've already discussed, you, you kind of would feel better about Hunt as uh, Flex, as your third running back. Um, and, you know, if you would have had, you know, Ingram or Gordon. But when value falls, sometimes you just take value and Odell was too much value to, to pass up. So I think that was the defining moment and it'll be interesting to see how that ultimately impacts, you know, the trajectory of your season moving forward. Yeah, um, I, I honestly, I think you pretty much nailed it. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't really have much to add. Uh, you know, you talk about carry on Johnson. Um, I, I'm looking back at my draft last night. And I said, you know, something that I wish I would have done um, is I wish I would have taken, you know, Zach Moss ahead of either Latavius or carry on. I had two chances to take him um, and I, I didn't. So uh, it's it's uh, that's one of those things that, you know, I'm not a huge Zach Moss fan, but I figure his upside's probably better than Murray and carry on. I just wanted to make sure I had that handcuff uh, with Camara, especially this year. And Latavius could be a flex play some weeks by himself. So um, yeah, you know, honestly, I, I don't really have much to, to say. Uh, nobody wants to hear me talk about my team anyways. So I'll just say that, you know, uh, I felt like I was really struggling with making a choice between rounds two and nine. There was, you know, I could go one of two ways, pretty much every single pick. Um, and, you know, I, I face a lot of those defining decisions, but I agree with you. It's Odell is kind of the one that set my draft up for what it was. Um, so I'll just wrap up by saying, you know, a few of the values that I really like on my own team. I like Odell in the fourth. I like Deontay Johnson in the 10th. I like Greg Olson in the 11th. And I like, I like that I got Steve Sims Jr. in the 16th round. Um, I think those are, you know, four guys, particularly the last three, that are going to surprise people. So, um, yeah, I mean, I like. I, I think you pretty much nailed it. I, I like my team. Uh, I like my team, and I don't care who knows. <laughs> See, it's funny because I think that it's really hard for a lot of people to be objective about their own team, but I think that you're spot on with a lot of those those values that you that you say really stand out for you on your team. I agree a hundred percent. So it's gonna be really interesting to see, you know, see if you're to see how right you are about that. So, you know Or how wrong tell. Like I keep saying, time will tell. Um yeah. moving on to Steven here at the um at the eighth spot. And for Steven I had his best value as Will Fuller at the seven oh eight. you know, Fuller this year is one of those guys that you know you you get him at a spot where you feel comfortable with it and the, and you can the the downside of fuller of course being the fact that he just doesn't 
ever play a full season, it's it's palatable because it's not you're not paying that premium price, and he's got weak winning upside that he comes along with that downside. So, um, I I like I like Will Fuller in the seventh round. He's a, I think he's a nice pick. I think he definitely has some potential here to to drastically exceed you know his ADP. Worst value. This is going to come as no surprise to anybody that knows me. Um, Josh Allen at the 308. You know, these first two years of, of his career, he's made, uh, you know, he's made a living in fantasy on on running. And specifically not just running, but, um, but rushing scores as well. And, you know, you just worry about Josh Allen. How, how long can he continue to be... Uh, Bad real-life quarterback that's good for fantasy. Um, well, let's find out. But um, but not on my fantasy team, ever. <laughs> um, the defining moment for Steven, I have as drafting quarterbacks at the 308 and the 407. Of course, he ended up with Josh Allen and then Carson Wentz. And so that left his, his running back trio as Dalvin Cook, who he, who he got in the first round. And then he sort of rounded it out with Devin Singletary and and David Montgomery. And I'm trying to come up with, uh, you know, the best way to sort of, to sort of describe that, you know, rounding, rounding out your, your running backs with Singletary and, and David Montgomery. But I think that, I think that people kind of know what I'm trying to say without me even saying it, you know, it's just kind of like, sure. It, you know, it's, it's meh, you know, you know, it's meh. It's okay. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they exceed my ex, my expectations, which are quite modest to be, to be quite frank. Um, maybe they can be compilers, guys who just get work and they're productive, but it's not its not sexy. I don't know, but um, it's hard to get excited about those guys. So I think that, I think it's good and totally understandable to take quarterbacks, you know, that if you, if you feel like, hey, I need to feel good about my quarterbacks, the Superflex League, I'm going to go early at quarterback, that's fine. But, you know, take the good, take, take, First off, take good quarterbacks, and I'm not I'm not sold on Josh Allen, you know, for for sure. And and secondly, um, you know, at what cost do those quarterbacks come? So I think that was his defining moment. Yeah, um, you know, uh, I think Steven's defining moment was probably showing up for the draft, which is a rarity. Um, <laughs> it. Uh, Unfortunately, it didn't really work out for him. Maybe he should auto pick next year. Uh, no, no, I, I, and I'll see, I'm, I'm really joking here. I, I think Steven actually did an okay job here. Um, you know, again, it has holes. Every roster in the league has holes. When you have a 14 team league, you're going to have holes. It's just, it's inevitable. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm a little bit concerned about the quarterbacks here. Uh, you know, Allen's a bad real life quarterback. I just feel like eventually that catches up to you in fantasy. I mean, Tim Tebow was a really good fantasy quarterback for a year, but he was so bad they just stopped playing him. So I mean, 
it's I, I feel like maybe that catches up with him. Uh, Wentz already has some kind of you know mystery upper body ligament injury. Um, his offensive line, I think he's down two starters already on the offensive line, uh, and his wide receiving core is already banged up. So I, I have serious questions about Carson Wentz, both his health and the weaponry around him. Uh, but I think he I think he has a really nice you know running back trio. Uh, you know we talked about David Montgomery a few weeks ago. Um, and you know, while he's going to be out for a little while, he's still better than people think last year. He just didn't return value in the sixth round. Pretty good chance. He returned some value there. So I like the running backs, the wide receivers again with Will Fuller's injury history. Like I feel better as Will Fuller as like a high upside number three. Like that's where I want Will Fuller as my number two, who I then back up with Chenault and Brian Edwards and an injured Mike Williams. Eh, I mean, it's, it's worrisome to say the least. So, uh, you know, hopefully Mike Williams is back in October and Will Fuller kind of slides to your number three. But even then, I, I, I think, you know, Steve, I think Steven is going to be searching for some wide receiver help at some point this year. Um, maybe even possibly quarterback health. Again, I, I don't love the quarterbacks that he took. Um, but I certainly understand why you would take them where he did. So I, I think Steven actually did a pretty good job here. It's, it's not a team that, um, you know, it's not a team that I would draft. It's a team that I could have drafted. We picked right next to each other. Uh, but I certainly feel like I made just better decisions than Steven, um, despite us picking, you know, basically in the same spot. So, uh, I think it's okay. I think it's, it, it's solid. It can get the job done. I don't know if it has upside to be spectacular per se. You have to love when, you know, when you're reviewing somebody's, somebody's draft and you just get the opportunity to just insert a nice little flex in there. You know, I'm going to talk about Steven's team. I'm going to flex on him. I'm going to flex on him. <laughs> I see you. I see you, Colby. Anyways, I mean, moving on here. Moving on here to the ninth pick and it was Casey at the nine spot here he has the Drew Brees Jared Cook stack um, which is an interesting stack I don't know yeah we'll see it was good it was, it was actually it was actually was surprisingly a nice stack last year we'll see if we'll see if that can continue to into 2020 um, I had Casey's best value I have to take the opportunity to mention Brandon Cooks at the 709. So I have to take that opportunity. But if we're being honest and we're playing by the rules here, um, it is a super flex league. So getting Big Dick Nick at 1309, even though uh, the Bears have said that they're going to go with Libisky, um at quarterback oh to start the year, I have to admit that Nick Foles at the 1309 is a pretty nice value because if you got to think that at some point he's going to get starts. And so I like that pick as well, but, but my heart says that I got to go with Brandon cooks at seven Oh nine as well. I got to mention both of those guys worst value here. Um, you know, again, going with my, my personal bias, maybe a little bit here, uh, Le'Veon Bell at the three Oh nine. I just point that out, and of course, no, here we go. We know where this is going. 
you know, Le'Veon Bell at the 309 when David Johnson and Jonathan Taylor, who coincidentally both ended up on my roster, uh, were on the board. I like both of those guys more than Le'Veon Bell. Um, so maybe that all comes back to my, um, you know, Adam Gase is a cancer uh, that I was talking about earlier. But, um, you know, Le'Veon Bell's getting older too, so. Yeah, I don't know. I'd rather have David Johnson and Jonathan Taylor. I think he could have done better. Uh, defining moment for Casey. And I don't know, um, you know, actually, you know what's funny about this? His defining moment, somebody made a comment. I think it was TJ in the chat saying something about how he, he, was, he was drafting his own retirement home because he <laughs> followed up his pick of Bell at 309 with Todd Gurley in his nursing home knee at uh, 4.06, and so I think that, you know, that could be his defining moment, you know, and, and it could go, it could go, you know, one of two ways, maybe, you know, maybe Bell gets volume and is productive on the ba on the basis of volume, and Gurley last year, I was not excited about Gurley last year, and I was wrong, because despite the fact that he had substantially less volume, he was getting touches in the red zone. He's scoring touchdowns, and he was productive for fantasy purposes, and I'm pretty sure he finishes a low-end one. So maybe that happens again this year. But maybe, too, um, nursing home knee uh, begins to aggravate and complicate and get worse, and Gurley is, you know, a shell of what he used to be. And... Um, same same story, same situation with Bell. So I think that's his defining moment. How do those two backs turn out? And that's going to be uh, very, very, you know, consequential as to the trajectory of, of his team. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much to add there. I, I kind of use the analogy that, you know, um, Casey went up to the tee box and while other guys were pulling out their driver and trying to hit it 320 yards to land on the green to putt for Eagle, Casey just took out his, you know, he took out his four, four iron. He just slapped it probably about 50 yards short um, of where everybody else went. But a couple of guys went into the water. A few fell into a sand bunker. Uh, and Casey's just in the fairway, you know, still in it. Um, and that's honestly, that's kind of how Casey plays uh, fantasy. Just, you know, get yourself in play, have it, give yourself a chance. Um, and I think he did. I, I, I think, you know, um, I'm with you. The, the two running backs, uh, are kind of interesting, uh, to see, you know, which running backs you get. We don't really know, but I actually really like the receiving core here. Um, even the, you know, the three and the four of John Brown and Darius Slayton. I think those are really interesting guys. I like that. He took Nick Foles. I think that's a good, um, I think it's a safe gamble if that makes sense. Uh, so, and you know, I mean, obviously it's tough to, to knock Drew Brees and Derrick Henry, um, you know, to kind of start your team in a super flex, but I will knock Jared Goff because that dude sucks. And I think Casey should have taken Kirk cousins, uh, or Joe Burrow. Um, but, uh, he took Jared Goff. So yeah. Uh, I, I, like I, said, I think Casey, Casey played it relatively safe. You put one down the middle. And he gave himself a shot, and that's that's more than I can say for a few other teams in the league. So, um, <laughs> I think it's fine. I, I you know I, I don't have any major complaints. 
Very well then. Moving on to Jake Smith at the 10 spot here. Um, I have the best value for Jake as uh, another one of my favorite values in the draft here, Juju in the fifth round. I felt like that was a really nice selection there. Um, as for his worst value, I went with Drew Locke. He just felt like a little bit of a reach there at the 605. And mm -hmm. in the same round, um, Goff and Cousins come off the board, as you just mentioned, later in the sixth round. I would rather have both of those guys than Drew Locke. So, um, so I just kind of felt like, you know, he could have done a little bit better there. But at the same time, I get it. Like, he's a Broncos fan. He likes Drew Locke. What do I know? Get your guy. But, you know, you could have done better. <laughs> and the defining moment here for Jake's team, in my opinion, um, he starts the draft here with Mixon at the 110 and Aaron Jones at the 205, which I, th I think is really nice. But then he doesn't draft another running back until Ronald Jones at 910. And I think that I think that that's going to be the defining moment here. Uh, yeah, I mean, I can see it. Uh, first of all, I'll say to Jake, if he's listening to this, um, you got some of my guys, man. So uh, expect maybe some trade offers throughout the year, which, I mean, you could pretty much guarantee anyways. But uh, I'm a big fan of Adam Thielen. I really thought I was going to end up with Marvin Jones. I got him in pretty much all my mocks, but the way the board fell, um, and, you know, the way the, the wide receiver situation went for me, I didn't grab him this time. Um, I think, you know, for me, one of the biggest surprises of the draft, um, you know, one of the picks that really got me at like, you know, eyebrows raised Cam Newton at the four Oh five mm -hmm. ahead of Carson Wentz ahead of Matthew Stafford ahead of Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, I like Cam Newton and I thought there was a decent chance that he was going to be my quarterback too. I just thought it was, you know, going to be the sixth round, the seventh round. Uh, so Cam with pretty much no weapons around him. I don't know. I don't know if he's going to be healthy enough. <clears throat> Sorry. I don't know if he's going to be healthy enough to run around like we're accustomed to. It just seems like a bit of a risk to me, but like I said, I love the stack at running back. I think the wide receiving core is rock solid. Um, I'm a little concerned about the quarterbacks, uh, to be honest, even though he has three of them. Uh, I'm not sure Haskins is the guy all season. Uh, and I, I thought he did okay at tight end despite waiting really long uh, to take his first tight end. He didn't take one until 12, until the 12.05 at Blake Jarwin. But I think that's a really interesting sleeper. Um, overall, I think Jake has one of the better teams in the league. Uh, again, questions, but everybody's got them. So, uh, like the Cam Newton and the Drew Locke picks were a little aggressive to me, but like you said, what do I know? Get your guys and, you know, take your chances and Jake's track records as solid as anybody's in the league. So, uh, there's a decent chance he's right. True. Fair. Very fair. All right. Moving on to my team. I chose from sucks. <laughs> I love it. I get so much love in this league. Um, <laughs> At the 11th spot. So I ended up with uh, the Rivers-Michael Pittman stack. I bet you didn't see that one coming. I'm sure a lot of people would call that stack. 
an irrelevant stack, but I call it stacking on a budget. <laughs> um, I just want to say real quick here that you said that, you know, nobody wants to hear you talk about your fantasy team, so you're just not going to do it. That makes you a bigger person than me because <laughs> I'm going to talk about my team, but I'm going to keep it short. Best value for me, um, Hayden Hurst at 9-11. I love that pick. I think Never it forget. was maybe the best value in the whole draft, in my opinion. Um, my worst okay. value, I'm going to be honest, I looked up and down my draft. I can't answer that question. I, I can. I don't really see a value that I think is off. Call on me, Matt. Call on me. So, so I know. I wrote in parentheses. You tell me. So when you get your when you get your turn, wait your turn. When you get your turn, you I don't want to. My worst value is and defining moment. Um, defining moment. I wrote drafting Jonathan Taylor at the four hundred four, and the reason why mm-hmm. I say that is a couple reasons, but for you know predominantly just because. I was tempted by Odell twice, round three and round four, but I trusted the process. I stuck to my guns. I knew what I needed to do. I went with my head instead of my heart, and I think that it paid off in the end. So I think that's my defining moment. All right. Um, So worst value is definitely David Johnson at 311. Uh, That's trash. Uh, (laughs) David Johnson over Melvin Gordon. And I mean – you got Jonathan Taylor, so I can't I can't criticize you too much on that. But David Johnson over Jonathan Taylor, hmm. you'd rather have both of those guys than than you know broken ass David Johnson. But uh, no, it's you know like I we talked a lot today, so I kind of I understand your process. When I sat down to take my notes, I took that into consideration here. So basically, what I said, um, you know, after we talked, is I said I feel like you and I, we are kind of making the same decisions for most of the draft. Um, I think we had similar strategy, you know, pretty similar targets. Um, I, I like the wide receivers that you have. I think DK Metcalf in the sixth was actually one of was probably your best uh, bargain there. Uh, best value. I think it's one of the biggest steals of the draft. That's awesome. Uh, Roethlisberger rivers combo. Only one person in this league would ever have that as their quarterback combo and it's you. And so <laughs> it's so fitting that you, you pulled that off. Um, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of David Johnson this year. Um, although I do understand why others would be and, you know, building your foundation on the back of a rookie running back in a season where there has been no OTAs, no mini camp, no training camp, uh, you know, no preseason. It's there's some risk there there. I mean, I think you have to admit there's some risk there. Um, obviously the situation's fantastic and it's a really talented player. So it's not a huge risk, but I think there is a little bit in there. Um, but like I said, I like your wide receiving core. I think you got good value on Metcalf, uh, in particular. I also think you got really good value on Terod Taylor. Um, you know, I, I know people are just waiting for Herbert to take over. I'm not so sure it's going to happen. And considering how bad, Philip Rivers was last year. I think that could really end up working out for you. I like the tight ends that you got. Um, I knew you were going to take Jarek, so you know um, that that was telegraphed for a while. Uh, but no, overall, I think you did. I think you did a good job. Uh, like I said, the the rookie running back in round one, hmm, David Johnson, not a huge fan. 
but I, I mean, I really, that's, that's all I can come up with. There's just not a lot to complain about here. It's a very Matt golden draft. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I told you this afternoon that if you had given me a couple of hours, I probably could have mapped out something very similar to this as a guess for what your team would look like. <laughs> and by a raise of hands, not because just because the name didn't get mentioned, I want to know how many people want to listen to me talk about Mike Jasicki. Anybody? Anybody? No hands go up. Shocking. Okay, no. Nope, moving on. Moving on then. Um, <laughs> Derek at the 12 spot here. And what I wrote here was for his best value. I was tempted to go here with Fitzmagic at the 1403. The problem and the reason why I feel like I can't, it's worth mentioning because he is going to start from the jump here. But I can't really necessarily say he's the best value because at some point, and you got to think sooner rather than later, Tua takes over. You got to think, anyways. So maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, I like Fitz at the 1403, but I feel like I'm going to go elsewhere in South Beach and say, you know, Derek getting Matt Breida at the 712, I think was, was his best value, but not, you know, not to be, not to be outdone. He also gets Jordan Howard at 912 <laughs> and locks up the Miami running game. Um, both those picks independently are nice values, but when you combine them together, it might actually be a bad thing. <laughs> Strangely enough, it might actually be a bad thing because you might be like, okay, well, who do I start? Who, who should I start? Who's it going to be? What, what, you know, I, I think it might be frustrating, but, but I, I will say as just values in and of themselves, nice, nice values there. Worst value for, for uh, Derek, and this is hardly a criticism, I, I feel, but, you know, I said Ian Thomas at the 11-12. I could be totally wrong about this, um, but the reason I don't like Ian Thomas at the 11-12 is because guys who went after him include Chris Herndon, uh, Eric Ebron, and Blake Jarwin. I prefer all those tight ends over Ian Thomas, so if you're going to take a tight end there, I would have I would have liked to have seen one of those other guys. Um just a personal preference. Um, Derek's defining moment. I wrote that he started the draft with Nick Chubb at the 112. He doesn't draft running back again until the 603 and then the 712. And so he ends up with uh, Raheem Moster and Matt Frieda there. Is it the worst thing in the world? No. Is it the worst trio in the world? No. But... Would you would you feel better if about the team if the running backs were a little bit better or at least if they were if they inspired a little bit more confidence? Yeah, I think I think you could feel a little bit better. So I think that's his defining moment. Right. Um, so much like I did with Brian, uh, I'm going to make up some time here because I really don't have much to add. I'm just going to read straight what my notes say about Derek's team. Here we go. I really don't have any complaints, nor do I have a lot of praise. It's a pretty straight up and down team. I don't love Amari Cooper or Mosser in 2020, but he didn't overpay for them, so it's fine. There's depth on the bench and upside in the lineup. It's just a solid, albeit un uninspiring team. 
you know, and I like I like that you make that point about Raheem Mostert. Um, I agree with you 100%. I am, for the record, just for the record, just saying, I love to pat myself on the back. So when I'm right, you guys can pat me on the back too. I appreciate it. Like that'll ever happen. We're both out on Raheem Mostert, apparently. I just learned. I want to make sure that everyone knows, not just Colby, but Matty G is also out on Raheem Mostert this year. And for Derek's yeah. sake, hopefully, hopefully for Derek's sake, uh, we're wrong, but I'm pretty sure we're not. Uh, pick thirteen, or yeah, pick thirteen here. TJ, giving us a true zero RB. Mm-hmm. And so, what did I? What what do I think? What did I write? Well, I'll say just in passing here. I'm not a zero RB guy. I don't have the gall for it. I don't think it's the best way to to, to build a team. No. Um, so TJ, what did I put here? His best value, Michael Thomas at the 113. I'm sure he will actually, he told me himself, but I could have figured it out on my own. He didn't expect Michael Thomas to fall to the 113. So no doubt about it, that is a nice value there um his worst value i felt like with all due respect i had options here um and maybe it's just because we're talking about two people who apparently see value differently but what i settled on and feel free to disagree with me here um i had his worst value as michael gallup and it it wasn't his highest pick that was contentious, perhaps, but it was the one that I found to be his worst value on the basis of the fact that the range that he took him at the 602, here's the list of receivers that that went off the board after Gallup, um, and I think perhaps all of them I prefer over Gallup. DK Metcalf, AJ Green, Stephon Diggs. Debo Samuel, uh, Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, T.Y. Hilton, uh, Boyd, Fuller, Cooks, Shepard, Edelman. All those guys come off the board after Gallup, and I think I prefer all of them to Gallup. Um, As for TJ's defining moment, this is just a no-brainer. Of all the teams in the league, the easiest defining moment to peg of any of them. Um... He didn't draft his first running back until the 7-13. And it ended up being Antonio Gibson. Um, and so he's starting Gibson and Damian Harris, who he landed at the 9-13 as his starting running backs. Could it be worse? I mean, I suppose. But, man, could it be a hell of a lot. <laughs> so um, I think that that's, that's, that's what I have pegged for TJ as – his defining moment. And let me say this, too. Um, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong about, you know, I'd, I would love to be wrong about TJ's team because I wouldn't feel very optimistic if I were him just because I think that this style doesn't really play in this, in this league. And, but I guess... I wouldn't try it maybe in any league, um, but especially not in this league. Um, 
So if I'm wrong, then then I learned something, and I love to learn. I'd love to learn something. I'd love to. Be, I'd love to be wrong. I'd love to be proven wrong. But I'm I'm pretty confident that that's not going to happen. So what are your right. thoughts here? So before I get into that, I just want to I want to propose a board bet from TJ to you. Oh boy! All right. And TJ is just going to have to accept it because I made it for him. I'm the commission. I can do whatever I want. Well, I mean, you know, you know where he's at with some of these players. Exactly. And that's why I think this is a fair one. Michael Gallup versus DK Metcalf. Most fantasy points in 2020. Got it. I'll take DK. We'll we'll see if TJ's up for it. He did take Gallup two spots ahead of DK. And I thought for sure when I saw that, when I saw that uh, Russian bot didn't take him on the wrap, I thought for sure TJ was going to gobble up DK, um, but nope. So I'll be interested to see if he's willing to take that. Anyways, now let's get to you know TJ. What? You know what? Here's the thing. You're totally, that's actually great that you bring that up because you're right. He did take Gallup over Metcalf. I drafted Metcalf. This is a yep. board bet that works out itself, but you know yep. what TJ is going to do? He's going to dig through that list of players that I named off. He's going to find the one that he likes the least He's going AJ to, Green. Oh well, Matt said, Matt said Debo, Matt said yeah. Matt said Sterling Shepard. Why don't we go with one of those guys instead of DK? No, we're going. I'll go with DK. I'll ride with DK. All right, we'll see if he wants to make that bet on his own. But I made it for him, so it's it's locked. Um, <laughs> so, anyways, let, let's get back to TJ's team real fast. So, uh, first and foremost, I can't believe you slackers let TJ get Michael Thomas for thirty dollars. Um, y'all should be embarrassed. Uh, I think those of us in the top seven are pretty safely, you know, protected from the shame that you all should feel, uh, because I mean, definitely not taking Michael Thomas over the top four running backs. Um, so yeah, picks eight through 12, y'all should be embarrassed that you let TJ get Michael Thomas for $30. But obviously the big story here is that in a year where everybody and their mother, they were taking running backs early. TJ just waited and waited and waited. And the results are pretty interesting. You know, he has one of the best, he probably the best and the deepest wide receiver group in the league. Could have been better if he had taken DK over Gallup, in my opinion. And I, I still like Gallup. I, I, you know, I don't, I would take Gallup over AJ Green, Debo, you know, guys like that. But, um, you know, and I obviously he has a high upside quarterback in Deshaun Watson, um, or I'm sorry, Carly Murray. So it, it's hard to complain about that. Uh, obviously, I do have to have legitimate concerns about the running backs. That's obvious. Uh, but, you know, not to manage anybody's team for them, but TJ's got ammo if he wants to go get better at the running back position. Uh, seems like there's a natural trade fit in this league between two teams, but uh, they can figure that out on their own. And I'm sure they already have. Um, I also worry that Daniel Jones might be TJ's Mitchell Trubisky 2.0. I don't think Jones was all that good last year, to be honest with you. And taking him in the fifth round, uh, granted late in the fifth round, but still ahead of, you know, guys like Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Joe Burrow, Ryan Tannehill. I, I don't know. I get it, but I, I, I don't get it, if that makes sense. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, TJ took Antonio Gibson, so he can rot in hell. Um, it's it's going to be a fun roster to track, certainly. I mean, it's, it is 
I don't think anybody's ever gone zero RB to this extent. Um, if they have, I, I don't remember it. So this is a really fun one to look at at the end of the year. We'll see how he's able to manipulate it and make his roster changes. And uh, it's going to be, you know, one of those test pot, you know, one of those test balloons and uh, we'll see if it works for him. Uh, it's, but it's definitely a team to watch. The way he's going to manipulate it is he's going to kill and he's going to, he's going to go totally off the beaten path and it's no longer going to be zero RB anymore. And if it's success, you can't call it zero RB and you can't right. say it was on the basis of being zero RB because he's going to sell from a, a position of strength, i.e. receiver. And he's going to hope if he can, if he can, good luck. It's going to be tough to make a move with a receiver right. or a running back. Good luck. But if he can make it happen, um, then, hey, maybe. Yeah, we'll see. But But let me say this too real quick. Um, I was just saying last night the same exact thing about Daniel Jones. I think it's funny. Watch it happen. You know, he he had to suffer through Mitchell Libisky, you know, last year for so long. And then what does he do? He comes out this year and puts himself in a position, you know, to potentially go through the exact same thing with a sophomore quarterback on a uh, on a not great team, you know, I don't know. I could totally see it. I a hundred percent agree that, um, Daniel Jones, for those who are unaware, by the way, Matthew Berry's 2020 ride or die fantasy ride or die, which is strange. He must have, you know, a death wish apparently, which sucks to hear. I like Matthew Berry. Um, you know, Daniel Jones, 2020's Mitchell Trubisky, Mitchell Libisky. Watch it happen. Pick, finally, finally, pick 14. Russian bot. The man that everyone knows as Russian bot, who maybe they should start calling Isaiah, but but yes. no, actually call him Russian bot. That's just tradition now at this point. Sorry, Isaiah. Um, I told him last night, he reached out to me, and I told him that he that he did a zero RB strategy, and I overlooked that he actually didn't. He did a modified zero RB um, because he drafted Josh Jacobs. But I think that it's interesting to kind of make a juxtaposition here between TJ and Isaiah because the, because they drafted right by each other. And um, so in any case, Isaiah, his best value, I have two I have two here, two picks. Zach Moss at 914, um, one of the better values in the, in the draft here for sure. And then you're going to you're going to think this is contradictory for me to say this, but it's not because it is super flex. Uh Libisky at eleven fourteen, especially now that we know that he is going to start from the jump. You know, hey, listen, sometimes uh, players experience volatility. Perhaps last year was a down year for Trubisky. Perhaps he can experience a little bit of redemption this year. And if that's the case, then getting a starting quarterback in a super flex league in the eleventh round is a great value, no matter how you want to shake it out. His worst value was, of course, Jacoby Brissett at 12-1, but he gets a pass because it was an accident. 
and he said as much in the league chat. So kind of a shame because you could still get some decent players there in the 12th round, and I would have loved to see what he would have actually ended up with um, instead of Jacoby Brissett. So I guess to his credit, like his worst value wasn't even a, an air of judgment or anything. His defining moment, drafting Josh Jacobs the 2-1, you know, and I think it's a combination of that because it because it distinguishes his strategy from TJ's. As opposed to 0RB, he goes modified 0RB, and it's crazy how differently you can feel about the, the results. At least, how diff- I, I can speak for myself, how differently I feel. Part of that too, though, and this is his real defining moment, it's, it's, a, it's a pairing of two things. Josh Jacobs at the 2-1, paired with his run of running backs from the 601 to the 914. Four picks in a row, and Russian bot puts on a clinic of how to do 0RB if you want to win. He goes Cam Akers, Philip Lindsay, Sony Michelle, Zach Moss. Just checking off the list of all the of all the guys the zero RB drafters should be should be chasing. Um, not to say TJ didn't get some of those guys as well, but I I really liked what he did here, considering that this is not the way that I approach team building. I was surprised at how intrigued I was by what he ultimately ended up with, and I will be and I will continue to be intrigued as the season progresses, um, monitoring the results here. Yeah. um, So I guess first and foremost, welcome, Isaiah. You're now officially a full-time member of the league, although the more or less started last year, uh, you know, when Kyle dipped. But, uh, you know, you have a draft, so you're officially, you know, in in the record books with us. Um, And it was your first draft, so you were kind of a wild card. But uh, I, I think you started off pretty strong, to be honest with you. I, I think, you know, obviously, again, every team has holes. I'm going to keep saying that. Um, but I actually like what you did here. Um, not a huge fan of Brady with the first pick in the fourth round. Um, you know, like, I, I get it. It's it's an enticing, the weapons and the offense. And I, I get it. But can we say for sure that Brady isn't cooked? I can't. Maybe you can. I, I don't feel good about it. But he's your quarterback, too, which does help. Um, you know, I, I think you're a little light on wide receiver. Um, not all that surprising, considering that, you know, you, you took two in the first 12 rounds. So uh, we shouldn't be too shocked by that. Uh, you know, maybe I would have taken, say, instead of Cam Akers, maybe I would have taken DK Metcalf at the turn there. But uh, overall, I think it's a good team. You know, I, I wrote down that I really loved what you did in rounds eight through eleven, and then again at thirteen. So you went, and it even starts actually round seven through eleven. Philip Lindsay, Sony Michelle, Zach Moss, T.J. Hawkinson, and Mitchell Trubisky. Those are all great picks. I really like all those picks, and then I really like the Preston Williams pick in the late thirteenth round. Um, so overall, I was I was impressed with uh, you know Russian bots first outing here. Um, I even like that he threw the Andrew Luck pick on there at the end. Um, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, and who knows? You know, at that pay, at that stage, it's better to draft Andrew Luck than Marcus Mariota. I'll say that. So, uh, 
it's uh, it's it's a really good showing. Uh, again, I think you're going to have to add some receivers down the road, but we talked about a few other teams that have receiver depth and could use running backs. So I think this is a really solid team. Uh, I, I don't see any like major pitfalls. He's definitely got, you know, a wealth of running backs to trade if he wishes. Um, he's got some quarterback depth if Trubisky really, you know, shows out. Uh, so, yeah, I just the wide receiver thing's a little concerning. Um, but I really like how you handled the middle of this draft. Um, and, you know, you, you took it seriously. And there are other teams in this league who, quite frankly, didn't. So uh, and, you know, you were rewarded for that with a better team than, you know, somebody who spent $200, let's say. Sure. And by approaching the draft in a really unorthodox manner that is difficult to pull off in a way that makes you feel good about it. Agreed. Um, All right. Well, that does it for our team-by-team post-draft recap and review. Um, To wrap it up here, just to have a little bit of fun, because I'm going to be honest, this is really what I love. This is really what I enjoy when it comes to fantasy football. As when you're heading into the season and you lay down some bold predictions. So Colby and I both, I haven't heard his predictions. He hasn't heard mine, although I don't know that we're going to be shocked by each other's predictions because we've talked quite a bit about about a lot of players and whatnot um, over the summer. But nonetheless, five bold predictions from both of us ranked um, in order to the best of our personal uh, perception from uh, mild to medium, to super spicy at the end. So, I will go ahead and give it a shake. Well, I'll start with my my more mild takes and progress towards hot. Or are we uh, are we doing this tennis style, or are you just gonna give me your five we're right now? Tennis it back and forth. So okay. So All right. I'll start mild, then you give me yours. And All right. for those of you who might wonder, we're gonna keep it quick here. You know, not as much research necessarily went into this. I know last year I really took a deep dive for um, for my predictions and tried to give Dante Moncrief forever. Yeah, took stats and facts and so on and so forth. Not this time, just just predictions, just bold predictions. And if anybody wants these predictions to maybe get a little bit more spelled out. Why do you feel that way? So on, so and so forth. Then I'm more than willing to explain it. But frankly, a oh, lot of these predictions that I have here don't require, real- you know, deep dive analytics or statistics or anything of that respect. Right. I feel like they're Re- pretty intuitive, but they're bold because um, the where where these players are going in drafts, etc., doesn't reflect what I'm. Uh, about to say here in terms of value so i'll start right. off with my whoa, whoa, hold on hold on matt just real i know we're, i know we're over time but i just want to say this real fast uh something that matt and i are doing this year is you guys might be familiar with our board bets that we have we usually only have two or three throughout the year um they more or less come organically but matt and i decided that we're actually putting some skin in the game so if we make any board bets off of these bold predictions which is possible remember the winner gets five bucks so uh there, there is a little bit of zest here, and you should keep that in mind when TJ accepts your board bet uh, of Gallup versus DK. So uh, 
there's a little bit of zest to these. And uh, since we're already over time, I'll shut up now. And Matt, you go ahead and share your first one. Okay, no problem. Um, okay, so starting off, this is more mild, but this is one that I um, feel pretty strongly about. So I wanted to float it out there. It's a combination of things here. So the first part is not that's not that uh, you know bold necessarily, but the second part people might see as a little bit more bold, and frankly, makes it maybe a deceptively um, spicier mild prediction. But what I have here is that Brandon Cooks finishes with a higher end of season rank than his teammate Will Fuller. Um, additionally, he will be a wide receiver one. You think that's mild? Uh, so I think the fact that Cooks is the receiver to own. in I think that's mild. Yeah, I think that that's mild. I think that, but I do also think that he could listen 14 team league. So he's got to finish as a top 14 receiver. Cooks could absolutely do it. I, he could, I'll take that board bet if you want to make it. <laughs> so it's, so hold on. As far as this being a board bet is concerned, it's just a yes or no proposition. Do, uh, over under Brandon Cooks finishes as a top 14 wide receiver in fantasy this year. Do you want to take it? Man. I mean, think about it. I recognize that it's super bold. You know what I'm saying? I mean, here's the deal. I I think you have a pretty good chance of winning it. Uh, I just, I mean, to me, bowlers there. Here's the thing. A huge part of this prediction is simple. I'm going to get hurt. Fuller's getting hurt. Yeah. You know? So when that happened, because there's a, there's every chance in the world. One way or another, I'll tell you this. Cooks and and or Fuller, one of these guys, potentially both of them, is drastically going to outperform their ADP. Sure. That doesn't mean wide receiver one. That's true. So, That's true. That's. I true. mean, hey, man, if you're too big of a bitch to take it, we'll just skip it, and I'll give my first bold prediction. I, I Up love to you, man. I love that I said it, and you're like, that's mild. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, hold up. Right. What's next? What are these next ones? Well, we'll yeah. fully value them as we go. go yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm a little nervous that that's mild. The first part I agree with 100% because Willer's going to get hurt or Will Fuller's going to get hurt, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what he does. So that part I totally get. But top 14 for Brandon Cooks? I can see it, man. I can see it. I, I, I get it, man. With Deshaun Watson there and that he's like the go to guy, I understand it. A lot of targets up for grabs with Hopkins gone. I get it. Uh, I just I I feel pretty good about my bet. So uh, let's let's hear your let's hear your most mild. All right. Uh, so again, super mild here, but uh, bold prediction number one: Gardner Minshew scores more fantasy points than Jared Goff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now, I I thought about making this one even spicier, and for a minute, for a hot minute, I was thinking I'm going to say Josh Allen. Um, that's how much I dislike Josh Allen, but I was like, you know what? I, I think I have some spicier ones and I don't want to, I don't want to overpower the palette early. So I'll go Jared Goff. Um, certainly the, the supporting cast is better around Goff. That's, and the offense, you know, the coaching staff, pretty much everything's better around Goff. Um, so I, I think that's decently spicy while still being mild. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that, but 
No, I could see it. I could see it. I mean, Goff is going to get a lot of volume. I'm pretty sure he went for over five five thousand yards, or at least close. Uh, yeah. Um, last year, um, so that is pretty bold. But it's the rushing, and there's going to be a lot of volume for sure for Gardner Minshew. The question is garbage time. Yeah. The question is with that volume, does he perform or does he shit the bed? And, right. and we'll find out. You know, but and I like that. I like that. I like that prediction. Um, so I guess I guess now that I look at it, you know, maybe this next prediction I've got here is is more mild for sure than the one I just made. Well, I guess right. we'll see what you th- what you think. I th- I think it's def- this one definitely is. Maybe what I should have done, like I said, not a, not too much research or time went into this. Had I had a chance to really look at it, what I would have done is I would have said Cooks. As far as where he's going at ADP, what is that? And I, if I had to wager, I'd say it's probably like, what, wide receiver 35? Something like that. Wide receiver 30? Something like that. And then oh, I would boy. say, well, isn't uh, isn't like top 20 bold enough at that point? Or at least it's a bold prediction, you know? Um, I'd feel more comfortable with something like that than saying for sure top 14. But I would say it's absolutely in the range of outcomes, too. Anyways, moving on. Jonathan Taylor finishes as an RB1 in 2020. I think that's less bold than your first one. Um, I, I think it's... I, I think it's honestly right. Um, that offensive line, man, is so good. And Jonathan Taylor's not too shabby himself. Um, I guess it's probably going to come down to how much is he involved in the passing game and how much does Marlon Mack interfere. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I think your second one was more bold or your first one was more bold than this one. But I, I think also, you know, Taylor's probably going what? Uh, running back 20-ish would be in my guess, range. 21. Yeah, in that range. Yeah, so, I mean, you know, saying he's top 14, that's that's I think that's mild, but I, I think it's 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 bold enough to be on this list. I don't have an issue with that. Okay. Let's hear your next one. All right. Stepping it up a notch. I think, I don't know. Again, the, the zestiness meter of these is really in the eye of the beholder. Um, but I have Stefan Diggs finishing outside of the top 30 wide receivers. It's interesting. Cause you know that I'm not, you know that I'm not a Josh Allen guy. But I also, am I. I also know that he is his he is Josh Allen's top receiver. And so by virtue of that fact alone, he's gonna get targets. Are they gonna be on target? Or that's another <laughs> conversation. But right. hey, you know, uh, last last year John Brown was productive with Josh Allen. Cole Beasley mm-hmm. was productive with Josh Allen. You know, I would be as much as as much as I am not a huge advocate for the Buffalo passing game. If you're willing to give me a board bet, that's all I need is Diggs to be a top thirty receiver, and we're putting five bones on it. You've got that bet. If you want that bet, you've got that bet. Well, take my first bet, and I'll take this one. Oh, now we're trying to now we're trying to barter. Now we're trying to barter. When mine is way more bold because you're talking about top thirty. Yours is not way. Oh, please don't don't give me that nonsense. Cooks man. as a top fourteen, 
Look, Matt, if you're too big of a bitch to take it, then that's fine. We'll both bitch out on this. It is way more bold than a negative. Um, I I think it really depends on the player, but okay. I just mm, whatever, man. Like I said, if uh, if you want to take the first one, I'll take this one, and uh, one of us will win ten bucks or we'll win zero. Would be my guess. So, um. In in true you know J one fashion, double or nothing, man. Oh my Just god! Just kind of kind of in a twisted way, so to speak. But uh, anyways, again, you think on that because I, I know where I'm at on those two bets. So up sure. to you, man. Okay, moving on. Okay, so my next one and this one, I don't know. Like I said, you're right. As far as how spicy these are, it really is just up to the individual. Um, so my next one is and. No, Make, it, make no mistake about it. It shouldn't be a surprise that not all of them, the majority of these are players that are on my team. That's for a reason. Sure. That's for a reason. Um, mm-hmm. So my next one is Hayden Hurst finishes as a top five tight end. I'll take the board bet on that one if you're offering it. Sure. Deal. No problem. Boom. All right. So just, on just board. hold on. Just to clarify, I say Hayden Hurst finishes outside the top five tight ends in fantasy football in 2020. I say Hayden Hurst is a top five tight end in 2020. Put it on the board. Let's do it. (laughs) Boom. We should probably, I should probably write these down somewhere so we don't forget. Uh, But go ahead. uh, Give me your reasoning and just let me know when you're going to send over my five bucks. Oh my God. Hey, well, if you want the reasoning, the reasoning here is, is pretty simple. And, you know, and I guess, I guess, you know, you could feel free to, you know, we, to disagree here, but my thought is simply this, you know, Austin Hooper was sensational last year in the Atlanta offense. And it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking like, oh, well, you know, but it was only one year, right? Right. But that's actually wrong because last year in 13 games, uh, Austin Hooper finished seventh at tight end in standard scoring and sixth in PPR. The year prior, um, in 16 games, he was also seven in standard and six in PPR. So what does that tell you? Well, there was clearly progression there. Had Hooper played 16 games, he easily would have been top five. So... Hurst comes over to Atlanta. They invest a second round draft choice to bring him over. You gotta, you gotta assume he's there to inherit Austin Hooper's role because they weren't gonna make Austin, they weren't gonna make Austin Hooper the highest paid tight end in football like Cleveland was willing to do. So they go out, they go bargain shopping, they bring in a Hayden Hurst who's sitting behind Mark Andrews, and they're going to rinse and repeat. Well, what does that mean? Hayden Hurst, top five. Yeah, uh, that sounds good. But I have no reason to believe that Hayden Hurst is as good as Austin Hooper. So I feel pretty good about this one. Um, I think it's totally I think it's totally possible. Like, I'm not saying you don't have any shot. Uh, but that's largely based on how crappy tight end is on any given year. Um, but, uh, we'll see how it works out. Um, 
as we speak, I'm typing this into the league chat so I can pin it. Um, that seems to be a, a simple way to keep track of the board bets. So uh, uh, we'll see how that goes. So um, now I'll say this about my next three. I don't think like, so what's interesting is you seem to be taking like the board bets as something that you could like, you feel strong, like you could like, not that you can see this happening because I can with all of my board bets as well, but yours seem to be more realistic for lack of a better term. I don't know if that makes sense. Um, but uh, I'll give you my number three here. Uh, sorry, pull up my sheet here. Uh, number three. And again, like I said, I'm starting to get kind of nuclear now. Um, Jeez. It's like that. I mean, again, it's really up to you to see how nuclear these are. But for number three, and I think you could probably switch these top three in any order you want, but uh, number three bold prediction, Duke Johnson outscores David Johnson. I'm not even going to ask for you to give me that bet because you're not going to do that. (laughs) No, it's a bold prediction. See, but here's the funny thing about it is that when I read off a bold prediction and you want to make a board bet and I'm like, well, you know, I'm not really sure that I want to actually put like put anything on that. Then I'm a bitch. But when you put a bold prediction out there and you don't want to do it, I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm supposed to sit back and understand. No, no, no. Because your, your bold predictions aren't that bold. All three of them have been mildly zesty. Mine. I'm swinging for the fences here. Brandon, so going is like, the 30th receiver in fantasy and saying that he's going to finish top 14. Isn't that bold? I think it's really bold. I mean, I think it's reasonably bold, but your next two haven't been that bold in my opinion. So and that's why I'm still willing. I've, I've, I've offered a board bet on two of your three bold predictions. You've offered it on one and it's the most bold one I have arguably. So yeah, uh, you're still the bitch. That's so, not true. I offered a board, by the, I offered a bet by, on digs and you put stipulations on it. Yeah, because I want my I want my cooks board bet. By the way, uh, they're, they're independent bets. Hold, hold, dude, hold on. A, no, they're not. B, we have people weighing in on the board bet as we're recording. Uh, Jake Smith says he is not. Uh, so for whatever that's worth, that's okay. Uh, but hold on. Then Jake follows it up by saying Noah Fant is the most talented tight end the NFL has seen. So <laughs> I love it. From a, from, a, from a straight athletic standpoint, he mm-hmm. he might not be fully right, but he's also not fully wrong. Yeah. He's up there. He's, he was definitely in the conversation, no doubt. All right. Get to your next mild take. Okay. My next one is, I think on the basis of like ADPs, that this one is more bold. And I actually fear that this might be on your list too. Um, I have... Greg Olson finishing as a tight end one. <laughs> it is not on my list, but it was on my mind. Um, I was, I was almost went as bold as to say top 10. Um, yeah. You know, I do the same. Yeah. Honestly, I, I think I agree with you on that one. So uh, Maybe that no, should be mild, more mild, but I feel like, I feel like just solely on the basis of ADP where he's going in drafts, a lot of people would say that that's, that that's nuts. I, here's a, I think you could get other people to take that board bet. I just happen to feel the same way you do, so I'm not going to take it, if that makes sense. Like, Touche. Well, I, here's the deal. 
the bold predictions aren't necessarily about forcing board bets. It's just no, no, no predictions. Right. And like I said, your board, your bold predictions, I'd feel have been safer. Like I, I am really swinging for the fences and just by the virtue you can, you might be able to tell that by the virtue of what my number three was. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm really swinging for the yeah, fences. And I'm not even gonna, I'm not even asking for that because I think that it's not something that no, nobody really necessarily believes that. Right. Anyways, I mean, so your second. We'll, all right, here we go, and this is one I I hinted at. And if you're earlier today, when here this time around, I can only imagine what's about to happen. Honestly, you know what? I feel like I probably have these in the wrong order, but that's okay. Uh, but this is something I actually um, hinted at uh, when we met up today. Uh-huh. But uh, bold prediction number four. Deontay Johnson outscores Juju Smith-Schuster. That is, I mean, that is, that's pretty bold, I think. I mean, yeah, that's, I think that's pretty bold. I could see it happening. I like that prediction. I could see it happening. I don't, yeah. I'm not going to, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't feel that strongly about Deontay Johnson, but I could totally see it happening. I could see yeah, it. Yeah, no. That's a yeah, good, that's interesting one. It's good to float it out there because, I think what it does, and what, at least what it should do, is it should make people maybe reconsider their preconceptions, not only about Juju, but about Deontay. I think Deontay probably deserves uh, a little bit more, um, a little bit more helium this year. Right. So it, it's like I told you, and we're way over time here, so I'm going to keep this brief. But I think, like, I I probably wouldn't take that board bet straight up. But if somebody was going to give me like two points a game, you know, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. so basically Deontay Johnson outscores Juju Smith Schuster plus 32 or whatever. I would have to give that some serious consideration. I just, that's how I feel about those guys as, as you know, talents. So um, I don't, I, like I said, I think the Duke Johnson one's probably more spicy than that one, but I think that's a good one. I think that one's probably better and more in the realm of like realism, I would say. For sure. Yeah. No, I like that bet. I like that bet. Um, all right. Should I, should I go ahead and, and let her fly, my man, let her fly. We'll see how bold, we'll see how bold it is. We'll see how bold it is. I think some people might argue maybe the Olsen one is bolder if we're, if we're, you know, making predictions on the basis of ADP here. Okay. But just for the sake of the conversation here, you might actually, this might be underwhelming. might be underwhelming. I'll throw it out there. My final prediction, and this is something I didn't even really think that much about until the draft, um, and after the draft, really, reflecting on how the draft went. I have Julian Edelman finishing as a wide receiver one. I think that's a good one, man. I could see it. I could see it. I also understand why it could, why, you know, it's... I can see both sides of that. I really can. On the one hand, who's Cam Newton going to throw to? Mm-hmm. And Julian Edelman's been really good for a really long time. On the other hand, you know, kind of on the same token, who else is Cam going to throw to? I mean, and plus Cam's not that accurate. I like that one. I think I think there's a lot of interesting, uh, kind of interesting angles you can go to come up with your opinion. 
Um, are you there? Yeah. Shit, I thought I lost you. Okay. All right, let's let's wrap it up. Let's get. Oh, I, 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 yeah, I got my last one. You ready? Let's hear it. All right. <laughs> Again, spiciness in the eye of the beholder here. Robert Woods finishes as the wide receiver one, not a wide receiver one, the wide receiver wow. one. Man. So I, I don't know if that's spicier than the Duke Johnson or the Deontay Johnson, well, but I mean the Duke John the Duke Johnson one is pretty much projecting an injury, which is tough <laughs> to do. Um, you know. So I don't really know that I would put them in the same in the same realm, you know. Um, it's not fair to do that. But, you know, Robert Woods as as the saying anybody is going to be better than the field is pretty bold. Even yeah. if you were going to say that one of those receivers in the top tier, if you're going to choose just one receiver, let's say let's say you're going to put yourself out there, Michael Thomas is going to be the wide receiver one. Well, most people are going to say that's not bold. He's going he's going number one in most drafts. Well, it actually is kind of bold because most of the time you don't just repeat as a top guy. I guess unless you're Pittsburgh AB. <laughs> right. But, but most of the time, I mean, it's, it's not, it, usually that's not the way it goes. Usually it's not just like, and also keep in mind, like Michael Thomas is coming off a historic year. So, but to go down the board like he did uh, and, and choose and choose Robert Woods, I mean, I think the first thought that most people would have course is if you're so bullish on on robert woods then why isn't he on your team yeah um that's a fair question but uh we don't always get all the guys that we love um because i thought that i was for sure going to end up with at least one receiver from houston and that didn't happen right i mean again you don't always get the guys that you want uh the draft changes on a dime. So sometimes the guys you think you can get no longer really make sense. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, honestly. Um, you know, it's, it's something that when I was sitting there at the four Oh eight, I was really thinking about Robert Woods. Um, but Odell Beckham sitting there for me to take. Um, and while I like Robert Woods and Odell Beckham, roughly the same, I'm still going to go with Odell over Robert Woods. Again, bold predictions for me are not, I expect this to happen. It's, you know, hey, by the way, it would be just, I think it would be almost as bold or just as bold if I said Odell Beckham's the wide receiver one. So, um, you know, it, what would have been really interesting, honestly, is if I was sitting at, at 507 and Robert Woods was still on the board, would I have taken Robert Woods ahead of Kareem Hunt when I really needed a running back? Maybe. So, uh, you know, it's, it's something that happens, but I, I look at my draft and I say, you know, there's not a player that I took that I would take Robert Woods over at the spot that I did. So, yeah. um, you know, simple answer is I like Robert Woods. Do I think he will finish as a wide receiver one? No. Do I think he's got sneaky good, like top seven upside? Yeah. And if you can be in the top seven, then theoretically you could be wide receiver one. So yeah. I really like Robert Woods. Um, and that's why I kind of threw him on this list and I wanted to be bold. 
And I just didn't think saying that he's going to be, you know, a wide receiver one was all that bold. Um, top five probably would have been, you know, bold enough, but I, I wanted to swing for the fences. So, um, well, yeah. that's actually interesting that you bring that up because it makes me think with your final prediction, you said that Robert Woods was going to be the wide receiver one. And if I wanted to make my shit a little bit more spicy, I could say, I could say Edelman is the wider, the, the overall wide receiver one. But then I yeah. got it and I'm like, I mean, I guess it could happen, but do I actually think that that's, I don't really know that that's in the range of outcomes for, for little Julian. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, I don't think it is. I like but, Julian Edelman, don't get me wrong, and he is not going as a wide receiver one in drafts. He is not going top right. 15. Um, but the overall wide receiver one, when you've got Devontae Adams in the league, uh, that's <laughs> not happening. Tyreek Hill, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones. Um, Those guys. I, I, <laughs> yeah, okay. Okay. I just, to me, man, it's like, like you said, any saying any wide receiver is going to finish as the wide receiver one. It's pretty bold. It's true. Pretty much every position. It is bold. Well, anyways. Okay, cool. So we got our bold predictions out there. Um, and I can't wait to revisit these at the end of the year. I remember last year we did re we did revisit these and they weren't great pretty well last year. Uh, did you? I did. I did pretty well last year. Despite the Moncrief debacle? Disp- oh, yeah, that one was bad. That was bad. So I had some that were actually pretty bad. You're, you're right. But I had some that were actually pretty good. Um, nice. I was wrong on Moncrief. I was wrong on Jordan Reed. But I crushed it with guys like Aaron Jones and Miles Sanders last year in my bold predictions. Nice. Um, We'll see how I do this. We'll see how both of us do this year. We got mm-hmm. 10 bold predictions, floated them all out there, not necessarily co-signed by both of us. That's okay. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, two completely different strategies, right? I'm not, I'm not making these bold predictions to be right. Um, yeah, no, that's, true. that's true. I made them to be bold. So. I should have been, I should have been maybe a little bit more clear. We didn't really, we didn't really discuss it overly. You know, we didn't, get too too in depth on on what we were doing in any case all right that wraps it up uh is there anything that you would like to say before we close it out uh just real quickly here guys i think we deserve kudos despite being you know about 40 minutes over our target time uh it's still about 40 minutes shorter than last year's podcast so uh progress is key guys so uh if you made it this far, congratulations. And also, you know, seek help. Maybe <laughs> might be a good idea, but I, some of you are out of town this week and maybe you have a nice long drive tomorrow. There you go. Here's two hours of us droning on. Um, yeah. The nice thing is, is that basically you could just skip in five minute intervals to get to your team. So if you pick six, you could probably skip to about the 30 minute mark and you'll hear what we had to say about your team. So that's nice. True. True. But you should listen to the whole thing. Give us your feedback. <laughs> Put it on the league chat. Additionally, I would just like to say before we close out, and I do this every year, and nobody obliges, but that's okay. Humor me 
and share your bold predictions on the league chat. And no, you don't necessarily have to do it, you know, fishing for a board bet or anything like that. If you have predictions, that's cool, and I'd love to hear them, and I'd love to discuss them. But if you don't want to, which you probably don't, then hey, that's cool too. Um, so that'll wrap it up. There you go. There you guys have it. All 14 teams, Colby and I both, giving you a little bit of insight on what we think, and then giving you a little bit of entertainment, and you know, with some bold predictions. We'll see how we do when we reassess here in 16 weeks. So with that being said, this is Matty G with Colby Patnode closing it out. Good luck to you all. Kick off here in just a few days. I'm so looking forward to it. Thank God it's football. Go Hawks. Go Hawks, man. See you guys later.